Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. As we jump in, we're continuing our series this month called A Thrill of Hope. Last week, we started to dive in with a little bit of what it means from the, story, the song, O Holy Night. If you're familiar with the song, we're not singing it. I know I made this joke last week, but I am sparing us by making sure we don't sing that high note together as a uh, congregation. It's just nobody wants to hear any of us sing that, except for maybe Julie. Uh, she can hit that, and the rest of us will see what happens. But I want to kind of jump in, and we continue looking through that verse. That third verse really has so much power in it. But before we get to that, I want to talk about debt. Nobody likes feeling indebted to another person, do they? Like, you just feel obligated, that, that moment where you say, hi, I, uh, I owe you. See, there's things in our lives that we kind of just justify and say, yeah, this type of debt, sure, that's fine. You know, things like uh, car loans. I just picked up a new one, um, which I'm a little frustrated at because I was almost done paying one off. And then, you know, car accidents happen. Uh, mortgages or rent, you know, that's kind of debt that we expect, right? Bills. Who loves paying bills? Nobody, you, Kitty, you had the right reaction there, the second time, nobody enjoys paying bills. Have you ever, though, stopped and before you ask somebody a favor, thought about, hmm, what might they ask me in return? You ever think that, like, like, I really need a favor from somebody, I really need help, but do you think who you're going to ask for help? Because sometimes you might feel like they're going to ask something from me. And sometimes you're like, eh, that might decide who I'm asking, who I'm not asking. And that kind of creates the infamous I-O-U, where you say, well, I did something for you, so one day I'm going to cash in this favor otherwise, right? And I just need this one thing from you. Now, often, it ends up being a fine situation. You tend to ask for a favor from somebody you know, somebody you trust, somebody you like, right? You don't tend to typically ask a favor of a stranger, but sometimes, just maybe, especially maybe if you're a teenager in high school, you're nervous about who you're asking a favor for, because when that favor gets cashed in and returned, because sometimes that's there, it's not always there, it might be something you're like, ah, I shouldn't have asked you for the favor in the first place, because this, this is far worse. Sometimes you get suckered into helping do hours and hours and hours of yard work. If you love yard work, you don't get suckered into it. But for me, I absolutely hate yard work. So if somebody returns a favor and says, don't worry, you'll do yard work for me, I'm like, as long as there's pizza, we'll we'll call it even. But see, the thing is with, with debt, when we look about what this means with our lives as Christians, as people who are coming to know who Christ is in our lives, we recognize that we don't have a debt to pay anymore. We don't have that debt, because when we give our lives to Christ, we find ourselves being co-heirs with Christ. We find ourselves being people that are shown that we can enter eternity, that we can have that relationship with Christ. So we look at this verse, right? We look at verse 3 of O Holy Night, where it says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and great chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. So last week, we took a look at his law is love and his gospel is peace. 
And we talked about what this looks like in our lives as Christians. If you weren't here last week, you want to really see that expansion, you can find that recording online or the podcast. But we're going to take a look at this next line in this verse, where it says, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. See, the slave is our brother because before we come to know Christ, Christ expands that we are slaves to sin. I'm going to expand on that in just a few moments. But see, when we're slaves to sin, we find freedom in Christ, and we are adopted into his kingdom. And when we become adopted into the kingdom of God, you and I become like brothers and sisters. But the truth is, until that moment, and as long as we let sin be a part of our lives, even when we claim to know Christ, we are truly slaves to sin. See, in John chapter 8, verses 30 to 37, It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. See, daily, as we choose to follow Christ, we have to make a decision. Am I going to walk in truth, or am I going to walk as a slave to sin? Am I going to give in to the temptations that I'm dealing with daily? Because here's the thing. All the temptations we face, God provides a way out. There's no temptation in our lives that we can't have the power to say no to because God gave us that ability. God is not going to force you into sin. If you're saying, you don't understand, Pastor Dave, this temptation, this one thing, I can't say no to it. Like, this is too much for me to handle, but the truth is, it is too much for us to handle, but it isn't too much when we have Jesus with us and we say and we lean on his word because the truth is, God gave you the ability and the power to say no. And if you're struggling with something, you're struggling with saying no to something, I want to empower you with the message of the gospel to learn to say no to the things that the enemy is trying to keep you down with. See, sin holds us captive because it's enticing, because it's easy. Sometimes it gets us out of trouble, or at least we feel like it gets us out of trouble, at least in the moment, because long-term it doesn't. And we become slaves to sin. We become slaves to the things that we say, I'm going to turn from, but you know, I keep going back. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. Some of you guys are seasoned saints, and some of you are just getting to know who Christ is. But wherever we walk with God, we know that sometimes we've got a struggle. My struggle is going to be different than your struggle. But the truth is, daily, we don't live a life without temptation. But we can choose to live a life without sin. And that's harder. That is so hard to do. But what does slavery to sin look like? See, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26, talks about something that's called habitual sin. It's that sin we keep going back to over and over and over again. He says, for if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. In other words... If we keep sinning and saying, eh, well, you know what? God's going to forgive me. 
so I might as well do it, then ask for forgiveness later? The, the scripture's really clear with that. That's testing God. That's putting God in the situation that he is commanding us not to put him in. Because if I just go and say, hey, well, you know what? God will forgive me, which, yes, he will. But when we continue to do this, that action in and of itself creates slavery to sin. Because when we continue to lean on that forgiveness as an excuse to sin, we are sinning. Forgiveness from God is not an excuse. It is not a reason to permit something that separates us from him into our lives. Slavery, we all probably know what it is, in this sense, we're talking about slavery means being bound, being shackled, being chained. And we look at that verse, and it talks about how chains shall he break. Jesus wants to make sure that the shackles, the things that are keeping us bound to our sin, are no more. The struggles, the temptations we are dealing with today, Jesus wants to free you. He wants to free me from daily. That we don't have to look back and rebind ourselves. But that's what we, so often we choose. So here's some examples of slavery to sin that maybe we don't think about, or maybe sometimes we don't even look at, because as Christians, especially in America, sometimes we can get blindsided, or sometimes we can actually uh, nationalize the gospel to a point where the gospel coincides with what we believe politically, but actually the truth is they're very separate. So here's some destructive decisions that we can make that actually create and show the shackles in our lives. We look at things like lust, which is thinking of or seeing another person in a way that we should only be looking at our spouse with. Greed, which is seeing what my neighbor or friend has and is desiring to the point where it becomes more important than anything else. Selfishness, where myself and my life experiences become more important than that of others. Addictions, where we get pulled back time and time again into something destructive, but feel helpless against it. If you're in this room and you are struggling with an addiction, God wants to break you of these addictions. He wants to break you of these chains. But see, also, we can fall into the temptation so very easily where we can choose our family over God. See, we're called as husbands and as wives to lead our households into a place where we know more of Jesus and we're encouraging each other within our households, to grow in our faith. But when we find ourselves in a place where we hold our families and our members higher than we hold Jesus in our heart, where we put the things of my family and say, this is more important than my time with God. See, Matthew 10, 37 says, the one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This doesn't mean don't love your family. Don't hear me wrong in that one. This does not mean don't love your family. But it is saying that we must love God more than you love your family. So if you're sitting in this room and you're saying, Pastor Dave, I love my family more than anything. Well, then that is how much more we must have a love for God in our lives. And we can choose to exemplify that. We can choose to bring our families along with us when we're growing to learn to love each other. See, God gave us commands, right, to honor our mother and our father and to not have any grievances between our brothers. See, God cares about your family dynamic, but he cares about his relationship with you more. Here's one. I might step on a toe. Sometimes we're more concerned about our citizenship of America, of our country, than we are the citizenship of heaven. 
See, this is where we believe that we as a nation, because we're Americans, are better than others who are in other countries. And we put ourselves in our pride, we tie it equal to God, but the truth is we must have a love for God that is greater than our love for our family and greater than our love for our country, where we must remember we are citizens of heaven before we are citizens of this earth, before we are citizens of this nation. And there's nothing wrong with loving this nation. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when we put ourselves in a place where we say we are better than every other person, we are better than every other nation in this world, we are looking at others and devaluing them in a way that Christ is not asking us to. Because Christ is saying, in this room, you have value. You have worth. You have great worth. And that same worth that each of you in this room have is true of every person in this world. We cannot find ourselves even accidentally saying we're better than everybody else. Because in Christ's eye, we all have great, great value. We also find ourselves in a place of gossip sometimes, where we can't speak life over somebody, but instead, we speak negatively. See, that's actually a sin. Sometimes we think gossip is just going and spreading something that somebody else didn't say. But when we're speaking so negatively of another person over and over again, we find ourselves in a trap where you're shackled to the sin of gossip. Or hatred. <clears throat> hatred. We love to hate as Christians in America sometimes. We love to hate. I hate this, speaking of hate, where sometimes as Christians, we're so quick to write off those that are living in sin, that are not claiming to know Christ, where we claim to say, I'm not going to give this business my patronage, or I'm not going to acknowledge this person's presence because they disagree with me, or they give to something that's not of my value. We're so quick to jump in and say, well, my values are better than yours. We're so quick to say, well, I believe better than you, that we find ourselves where I can't stand to show you the love of God, so I'm going to withhold what God has given me from others. And that is hard because we so much want the world to believe what we believe because we know the truth, we know the freedom that Christ has given us. Yet somehow we've created a society where people in this world know what we are against instead of what we are for. We can be known as people who are for our community. We don't show people the love of Christ by withholding. We don't show the love of Christ by boycotting people because they think differently than me. We show the love of Christ by being active in our community and showing the love, showing the light that Jesus has asked us to. Christians, we need to be known what we are for, not what we are against. See, Jesus came to break these chains of bondage, of sin that hold us down. Jesus came to break these things. You see, in the kingdom of God, we're all different. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different assignments, things that God is asking us to do. Yet you and I are all of the same. God doesn't love me more because I'm a pastor and preach every Sunday. God doesn't love you more because of what you do. God doesn't love me less because of what I do. God doesn't love you less because of what you do. See, we are all the same. We are all loved despite what we do in our lives. And even when we feel like we do something that I shouldn't deserve God's love, God still loves you. God still loves me through my mess-ups, through the things that I say that I shouldn't, the things that I do that I shouldn't. God still loves me. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But that shouldn't be keeping us from growing to be free of the shackles, free of the chains of sin that God is keeping us or wanting us to be free of. 
See, this remarkable love of God must break into our hearts. It must break in if we're going to break free of these chains. Because we can say, hey, I'm going to try to do this on my own. But let me tell you, friends, it is so much easier to break free with Christ. And if anybody's in this room, maybe you have a testimony of God breaking you free of something in your life that you kept turning to over and over and over again. I would love to hear that story. Because I guarantee you, I don't know if there's somebody in this room that is dealing with it, or one day there will be somebody in this room who will be dealing with it. We want to share testimonies and stories of how God has freed us from the bondage of sin. So what does this freedom through Christ look like? If we looked at what the sin looks like in our lives, the, freedom, or the shackles that are holding us down, we can see in John 8 that shares with us that when we are not slaves, we're sons, and we remain in the presence of God. See, a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. And this freedom is represented through the light of Christ. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. says, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and he went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then we see Jesus' words later in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And here's what Jesus cried out. He said, the one who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge them or do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive me For my sayings, as this as his judge, the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. See, Jesus knows we're still going to mess up. But Jesus provides to us a way to step into eternity, to become that co-heir with Christ, the eternity that he has in store for us, on a new heaven and a new earth. That when we have a moment of mess up, when we do that thing that we know we shouldn't be doing, God isn't condemning us in that moment. But instead, he's sitting there patiently for us to come back. I don't know what it's like when you find yourself in a place where you sin. But for me, there's those moments where like, you realize you do it as you're doing it. And then like, you instantly like, I'm sorry, God, I repent. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. And there's other times where you might even not realize you've done it until somebody points it out. But see, I'm grateful for both of those moments. I'm grateful for both of those levels of opportunity. For God to say, here I am. I'm waiting for you. To sit and say, and to know that God is waiting for me, it's humbling. God is not forcing me or you into a relationship with him. God is not forcing us 
to know him. He's giving us free will to choose him. Because is it love if you're forced into it? No. But it's love when we can choose. And we continue to show what that means. See, light is one of my, my favorite elements of symbolism in the Christmas season. Just really quick show of hands. If you're in this room and you decorated something that you own, I don't care if it's your hubcaps or your house, whatever it is, did you decorate something with lights for Christmas this year? Pretty much everybody, not everybody, that's okay. Honestly, if uh, I wasn't married, I probably wouldn't have much lights out. But I love seeing them. One of my favorite things growing up was going to a farm that was nearby my house. And every year they had this light show that you could drive by. And you would sit in the car, and every year the shows would get bigger and bigger. But you would see all these crazy festive lights. And now in this day of technology, we've got homes that might even be synchronizing their music to something that they're broadcasting on the radio. So when you drive by their home on their street, you can sit there and enjoy everything there is. And all their neighbors hate them, right? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're that person. I'm sorry. See, light is such a great symbol of Christmas because it reflects the light of Christ being born on that morning. You know, perhaps maybe that's why some of us decide we're going to decorate for Christmas on November 1st. Or maybe that's some of us why our Christmas tree becomes a a Valentine's Day tree, which becomes an Easter tree, which becomes a Memorial Day tree and a Fourth of July tree. And it's just some of you just leave your tree up all year round and it's just a permanent fixture in your house. Because you know just something about the joy of Christmas, right? Because it's so reflective of the light of Christ and the joy that we have in him. In Philemon, we look, there's only one chapter, so it's Philemon verses 15 through 16. We see this man named Onesimus, and we learn about his slavery. We learn about his position and how he was a slave, and how Paul came to know this man and adopt him as a spiritual son. So we're going to read here in a moment, Paul interceding for Onesimus. I'm going to say his name different every time, just so you know. Let's see what happens. He's starting with verse 8 and going to 22 in Philemon. It says, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I'm going to pause right there. So we see this here where Paul's saying like, hey, I have authority over you. you know, as an apostle of Christ, the way our churches are set up, I have authority over you to just say, hey, you release this person. But I'm not going to come to you with authority, but I'm going to come to you as a brother of Christ. I'm going to come to you with love. See, Paul could have forced his hand into what was going to happen, but instead he wanted Philemon to make this decision. So we pick it up and it says, I became his father while I was in chains, and once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. 
as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if, I were wrong, and if, I, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that your prayers will be restored to you. In your prayers, I will be restored to you. First off, Paul, uh, he did the first thank you in advance. You ever conclude an email or something saying, thanks in advance for doing this for me. Paul's kind of just saying that. It's like, I know you're going to do this. I have faith in you. You're going to do the right thing. This is the right thing. You're going to do it, right? It's in love, though. See, when we are no longer slaves but have found freedom through Christ, all others who have done the same become like our brother or our sister. See, what happened was the slave came to know Christ. And instead of going back to be a slave, Paul is interceding. See, this is a thing that could happen. See, around this time, I, I did a lot of research on this. I don't know how much of you know about slavery in biblical times. You probably know a lot more about more recent slavery. See, slaves in this day sold for about 500 denarii. One denarius was about one day's worth of work for one person. So the cost of the average slave was 500 days of work. Highly educated and skilled slaves, though, sold for as high as 50,000 denarii. That's 50,000 years or 50,000 days worth of work. But see, masters had the right to free a slave. It looks a little different than what we're more familiar with. Or, or, here's the other thing. If a slave at this time was able to get enough money, they were able to purchase their own freedom. See, Paul actually ran into this. If you're here probably about four or five weeks ago when we were going through the book of Acts, Paul actually ran into this assumption in Acts chapter 22 when he was asked and assumed that he wasn't a Roman citizen by birth. But instead, he actually showed, yes, I am. But the person he was talking to, the commander he was talking to, that I paid a large sum of money for the citizenship. What he's meaning there is, I was a slave. I came across money, and I bought my freedom. But Paul's saying, I was born into this freedom. See, when a slave went missing in this time, a new owner, who was a free citizen, who came across him, could assume custody of this new slave, and he actually could intercede with the former owner. You kind of stand in the middle and say, hey, here's what, I have your slave, can I take over, let me, whatever, I'll give you money for it. Or you say, hey, exactly what Paul's doing right here. Could you free him? Could you free him? So slavery obviously looked a little bit different. So Anisimus was once Philemon's slave, but Paul here is interceding on his behalf. Say, we want to give him freedom, pointing out that he's now an elderly person. Paul's older here, and he's suffering for Christ. He's kind of playing the guilt card a little bit. But who wants to be the jerk to decline this request of an elderly man asking for the freedom of another person? I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be that jerk. So Philemon's like, okay. So the slave is now Paul's spiritual son, and he's interceding saying, this man is our brother in Christ. He knows Christ. He is like us. Here's our brother. Paul interceded, and this man finds his freedom. We see here a physical representation 
of chains being broken. Slavery being unbound. Freedom that was found in Christ. See, because of Christ, we, we find freedoms that we didn't have before. It might not change the laws we're bound to hold from where we live, but we find a different set of freedoms within our lives, within our marriages, within who we are as individuals. See, we talked about this uh, probably like two weeks ago. We were talking about the relationship between husbands and wives and why there was honestly a lot more scripture about how wives should behave and some of these things that wives had because wives were being introduced to a newfound freedom that the men actually had under Roman rule. The men didn't need to hear it because they already had it. But the women were stepping into a freedom that they didn't have. So they're here learning for the first time some of the freedoms that they had in Christ. And it's the same thing for you and I when we give up our sins and we say, God, I want to follow you for all my days. Please be my Savior. We learn then that we become co-heirs with Christ. In Romans 8, verses 16 through 17, it says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And when we find and accept this freedom that we have through Christ, we become co-heirs. We become like brothers, sisters with one another. We get some soft music playing in the background. When we begin to recognize who God has made us, we can begin to recognize who God has made others to be, who God has called others to be. When we look around this room and we recognize each person in this room has that same value, that same worth, that same love from God. We begin to recognize what it means to be a brother and a sister in Christ. We can look at our spiritual brothers and our spiritual sisters with a glimmer of hope and a desire to see them thrive in their relationship with Christ. This is why I almost weekly refer to the Proverbs where it talks about iron sharpening iron. Because it's that powerful. It's that important. It's that life-changing. Where God is empowering us who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow after him, with a gift, with an ability to look at somebody else in this room and say, I'm here to help you grow just as you're here to help me grow. It's not one way, but it's both directions. Because I have faith that we can look at anybody in this room who says, I believe in Jesus. We can say, hey, let's sharpen each other. So when we recognize the value our brothers and sisters have, we can look through that glimmer of hope But then we can also look at those who don't know that love of Christ. We can look through that same, that same moment, that same glimmer of hope. The thrill of the hope that Jesus has for them. The light that he provides. And we can be filled with that desire, that eagerness that Paul had for the slave to see him to come to know true freedom. See, when there's people in our lives that don't know Jesus, we should have a desire 
and eagerness where we can be like Paul, be on our knees in prayer and intercede just as Paul interceded for Onesimus. We should intercede to God on their behalf that somebody would one day share the message of the gospel, that one day somebody would share the love that Christ has. Because the freedom we have is the freedom for all. It's a freedom for me. It's a freedom for you. It's a freedom that we can choose to walk in every day. See, Christ gives us freedom. He breaks these chains of bondage, of sin that's in our lives, and he frees us from winding up in a place of suffering and shows us the path to eternity with him. So I don't know where you're at in this room in regards to this. I don't know where your spiritual journey is. But there's two things I'm going to ask. First is I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And the first is uh, turning from sin. In just a moment, I'm going to ask us to say a prayer where if you're in this room and you're saying, Pastor Dave, I've not given my life to Jesus. I have yet to say I want to follow him. I've not made the decision before now to choose to walk in his love, to be free of the chains of sin in my life. We want to celebrate that with you, but we're going to pray that prayer together. Because for those of you who in this room who claim to know Christ, let this be a prayer of just weekly repentance. But here's the thing. The only thing required for salvation is admission. Admitting we need a savior. Admitting we have a need for a light. Admitting that you and I are walking in darkness. See, last week, some of these were already broken. Last week, we uh, talked about it with the glow sticks. We talked about the light. When our light is not in the right place, when it's not in the right environment, you can't tell that it's glowing. Even though I just cracked these, some of these are glowing, some of these are harder to tell. We all have a need for light. This light is within us. And we can choose to daily walk out with it. We could choose to make sure our light is something that is seen. And when we come to a place of humility and say, God, I need you in my life, this light is within us. The light from Christ. The light that was sent. Here's what we're going to do today. With everybody's eyes closed, just a show of hands. If you're in this room and you're saying, Pastor Dave, I've not been following God, but today I want to make the decision to follow God. I'm the only one in this room looking around. If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up so I know that you're going to make this prayer together with all of us? I think today, I want to give my life to Christ. The hands in this room. But here's what I'm going to ask. Everybody in this room to repeat this prayer. And this prayer isn't complicated. There's nothing magical. There's nothing special about this prayer. But it's simply me walking us through a prayer saying, God, I'm giving you my life today. And if you're in this room, and you've already said a prayer like this, you've already chosen to follow God, and today you're saying this prayer, saying, God, I continue to ask for your forgiveness. Would you repeat this with me and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me, being the light of my life. I believe in you. 
Please be my savior and friend. Forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you each day of my life. Help me to see you when things get hard and help me to know your peace, your joy, your love. Jesus, I ask that you that your light shine within me. That I can be a beacon of light and share your hope and your love with those around me. Let today be a new start following you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.